Hello and welcome to the first ever Two Bastards podcast episode. And joining me today is Mr. David Reed. Oh, good day, Dan. Uh, nice to be on the show with you. Oh, well, you're my partner in crime, so all the listeners have to uh, put up with us once a month. And uh, basically, we're going to be talking about everything involved in the cryptid world. So anything from Dogman, Mothman, to Yowie's Bigfoot, Hawkesby River Monster, Bunyips, you name it, we'll talk about it. If uh, if something pops up and, uh, you know, it's interesting for our listeners to uh, to listen to. Oh, interesting is the key word, I think, mate. You know, like there's uh, a lot of rubbish out there as well. So uh, anything that comes up that uh, is, you know, we think is uh, uh, legitimate, uh, I think it should be discussed here. Well, you're basically saying anything with a red circle around it's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the one we're going to... Yeah. Sorry? No, you go, you go. No, that's right. Um, you wanted to discuss one of the uh, recent captures from America, I believe. Yeah. Uh, even though it's on the TikTok platform, uh, it's still uh, a very weird video. I, I did kind of say it was fake, but I've watched it again. And, you know, there's a few things in it that's a bit weird. I'm just going to play it now. I'm going to talk everyone through it. Um Basically, there's a drone up in Tennessee and straight away you see this, probably a tree about 15 metres high. It's just getting thrown around. And first I thought it might have been like an excavator or some sort of tractor with an arm on it that can grab them and throw it around. And then I watched it again and I'm like, you can clearly see there's no tractor there. And then it kind of just starts... It's like it's been ripped out of the ground. And then it kind of starts going into the thicker bush because it's not far from an open area and there's like a road there. And then it just takes off 20 metres into this thick... It's, it's actually a pine tree, so it's like a pine forest. And then the drone starts coming down and then it stops. Uh, the footage probably lasts about 20, 25 seconds. Um, the thing I, that got me was... The drone, the person who's flying the drone, you can see everything because there's always there's a there's a camera on on the drones and you can um, live feed it straight to your to your camera or iPod, so it is trained on that area straight away, which is a bit weird. Um, you don't see a before or after, but if it was me flying that drone or other people I know, they would be zooming that drone and flying it in towards that tree. Uh, I don't know if the person saw it. To me, it looks like it could be set up, but it's a bit weird. Like, you know, trees just of that size, you're not going to hold it with your arms and start running around with it through the bush. It's too big. Uh, you know, the actual trunk of the tree will probably weigh, you know, 100 kilos or 200 kilos. You're not going to pick it up. So have you seen that one, Dave? Yeah, I actually have, mate. The... Um yeah, there's a couple of things red flagged to me was that uh, it was too, the, the drone was, like you said, the drone was already looking at the area when the video starts and uh, it seemed to be in a, in a pretty good position to view the trees without seeing anything behind the trees or at the base of the trees. Um. I did see something very briefly today on uh, on Facebook there somewhere where they think that it, they might have identified a white figure at the base of one of the trees, but it looked really indistinct to me. I didn't pay any attention to it. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of red flags with it, and the trouble is with TikTok, people make videos for the uh, make TikToks for the impact. You know, like uh, uh, like there could well have been an excavating a, a um, tree lopping machine on the other side of those trees with its grip around the base. Of yeah, through there, make it flick the tree around. I don't know if that's possible or not. But uh, if not, 
something incredibly strong is down there, moving, pu- pushing a pine tree, a fully grown pine tree around like it's the toothpick. Yeah, like then most of them, like excavators and that, they're all that bright yellow, orangey yellow color, and that's what I tried to find out in this video that I, what you know, if I could see that, and I, I just couldn't see anything like that. So, you know, I'm kind of on the fence. But, you know, a lot of things that come out of America, there's a lot of fake, you know, things, fake videos, hoaxes. There's a lot of things that are, you know, for social media, they get sub- subscriptions um, and hits and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know about it. Yeah, I still raise my eyebrows with anything that's put on TikTok, to be honest with you. Dan, it doesn't seem like the uh, platform to show legitimate research you know i don't think it was aimed at that i think it was aimed at the you know the shock value and the uh and the views on tiktok yeah yeah you're right there because that's what tiktok's all about and and plus that's i don't know there's nothing substantial that will come out of the tiktok platform other than people just showing off so it is a weird video it's not one that i've seen before so Something someone set it up. They've done a good job, but um, you can still pick some things out that of the video that you know. Why is this happening? You know, why is this camera not? Why is the person not flying the drone in there? Like it should. I would have flown that drone right above that tree. You know. So. And was there footage before it and after it? I mean, the trees start moving the second the uh, the footage starts. No, no, no. All, all exactly what you said. As soon as. The video starts, the tree's already moving. Yeah. So anyway. Um, but, uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot more background that you don't get off TikTok video. You know, if it had been on YouTube, perhaps they would have had a, a better description yeah. of what was going on. Now, it reminds me of those UFO TV videos. It really does. There's always good and bad ones, and basically, yeah, well, that's right. Ones... Anyway, it popped up, popped up this week. It was interestingly enough to talk about, but I think it's in the too hard basket. That one, it, it, you know, it could well have been set up with the right angle, and they knew there was a machinery around the back that was going to toss a tree around. Because you know, let's face it, what would it take to move to to do that to a fully grown pine tree, I have no idea. One thing I'd like to ask, you know, I'm not, like, no expert on these um, tree lopping, but do they have an extension arm that can go out to kind of grab certain trees within the bush without wrecking the others? Because that could be a possibility. No, the one, yeah, no, the ones I've seen are literally a, 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 a pincer, pincer type clamp that goes around the clamps onto the base of the tree, yeah. the circular saw cuts through the through the tree and then the arm just picks the tree up and stacks it on like could stack it onto a, a truck bed or, you know, into piles to be transported later, that sort of thing. Okay. But like they, they I think they do have the capability of uh, tossing a tree around. So Oh yeah, and especially if it had been chopped especially if it had been cut off at the bottom because then it's got a fulcrum to mm. really swing. Well, they're heavy machinery, so they can pick up big trees and throw them around like matchsticks, so yeah. that's what they're built for. Yeah. But just the way it was presented and everything, Dan, I'm going to put it in the doubtful uh, <laughs> pile, I think. Uh, yeah, no, that could have been investigated a lot uh, better than what it was. Uh, well, let's move along. Um, we're going to come out of lockdown in New South Wales, uh, in the Sydney region and all whole of New South Wales on Monday with certain restrictions, but that's at 70% with everyone with their f- both doses of the vaccine. And then 80%, we can go all around New South Wales. So uh, we're looking forward to that, especially I am. I haven't been able to go out for... It's been since June was the last time I went out and I'm looking forward to it because I'm so COVID unfit. I used to 
bike all the time if I wasn't uh, going out researching. So I know when I go out now, I'm really going to be puffing hard because I'm so unfit. There's just nothing to do because I can't even go to my area to, to go anywhere. There's no bush around my area to uh, to do any kind of research. So you living down Canberra, what's your situation? Like when are you guys allowed to go out again? I think uh, if all going to plan, I think we uh, un, um, come out of lockdown on the 15th. 15th, um, 15th of October? Yeah, 15th of October. Okay. And I imagine after the, all the national parks have been closed for a long time and uh, uh, I won't even look at going out in the ACT until, until the mad rush of people going bush uh, happens when lockdown lifts. We're going into a nice period of weather as well, so it's when uh, all the four-wheel drives clubs and all that sort of thing get out there. But I've been spending most of my time when I can get out in New South Wales. I've been down to the Southeast Forest National Park. This is before lockdown. Uh, Southeast Forest National Park and the Dewar National Park, Monga National Park. These are all uh, national parks within a short drive, you know, an hour or so from my place. Yeah, yeah, because like, and, the, last uh, time I, the last time I'd been out was with you and, and my wife when we went to Talaganda. Is it Talaganda State? Yeah, Talaganda. Yeah, that was the yeah. last time. That was so, a few months ago now. Oh, yes, that was, yeah, that was a good night, actually. That was, yeah, that, that night will go down in my memory for a long time, Dan. Mm, yeah, Number um, one, I hadn't um, seen the thermal camera used to such good effect and uh, when uh, you were scanning over on the other side of the campground and uh, I was looking down at the monitor and uh, up came uh, what looked on thermal to be very Dean Dean Harrison's group's capture up behind the Sunshine Car and uh, I thought oh wow you know, they really can't hide from this camera. You know, they don't know that we can see them and all that was running through my head. And then all of a sudden I heard you turn around and say, oh, it's a room. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, bugger. Yeah, and when, it, when, the, uh, when the kangaroo turned on its side, you could see the full silhouette of a kangaroo. Yeah, because it looked for... for but, a... I mean, you know, going back to what we were talking about before, uh, Dan, yeah. with that footage that we had on that on that camera, if we'd have cut it off before it turned, morphed into a kangaroo, yeah. and didn't have the uh, and cut out the bit where you go, oh, it's a roo. Yeah, you know, we could have put that up on social media and said, oh, here's a yowie in the bush. Yeah, yeah, it's very easy could have been done, but. You know, one thing about very easy to do, but like stay, people would ask the same question: Why, why haven't we got the film after it? Why haven't we got the film before it? Yeah, that's why you you got to like put a bit of lead up into the video, and then also you know the before and after, so people can see you know because you're always that's the question that comes up a lot is like when you see um, things that pop up on different pages and websites and people ask them questions like, what were you doing beforehand? How far away was it from you? What was the weather like? What happened directly after it? Why does it only go for five seconds? Did You know, you must be more footage. And then questions come up. So, you know, you've you got to stay truthful. If you start faking things and that, you get quickly caught out and that's it. You know, whatever you post from then on end, even if you do get something that is... A, a yowie or some sort of cryptid, people are just going to say it's bullshit. Oh, yeah. To be honest, apart from Rusty stuff um, down the south coast and Dean Harrison's recent captures as well, um, you know, and your video, which I'm sure we'll discuss in the future, but your Glenbrook video. Yeah. I think of the most impressive bits of evidence that have uh, been put forward. Um, it was interesting that your capture was caught completely by accident. 
uh, and it was trying to avoid you. And uh, whereas Dean's capture was these these things did not know that the uh, the uh, people could see them. You know, they thought they were in the element where they think we're dumb. Uh, we can't see. They know we can't see in the dark. They have perfect vision at night. And it's just an equaliser. You know, these thermal cameras, they can't hide their body heat. No. So, uh, uh, you know, it was a uniform heat pattern on something that when they did the measurements was about nine foot tall. You know, that's very hard to fake. Yeah, and, they, and the shoulders were really massive. Like, and the people were saying it was Gary who was one of the team members. And I, I know Gary's a big fella, but he's, his shoulders aren't that big. Like, and even if you put... Oh, balance, I know. The comparison between Gary and the, and the creature was sort of like, you know, it's like the, the Yowie yeah, was about three foot taller than him. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's they, were, they were big creatures. And like I was about to say, even if you put padding and try to put clothes on to make yourself look bigger of some sort, well, then you're not going to get that, con- that, that... The heat signature is going to... You know, if you've got clothes on, you don't see a lot of heat coming off. You see more heat coming off from the skin. So if it's not, if it's something for a person with clothes on, you're going to get different heat signatures all over the body. So with that constant universal heat signature that they gave out, there's obviously it wasn't someone with clothes on. Oh, no, definitely not. I noticed on your camera when it looked at people who were just in the, in the, uh, at camp with us, um, you can even see the folds on the clothes. You can see where they crease and all that sort of thing and the difference between a coat and a pair of pants because the heat signatures are different. <coughs> Excuse me. The, um, no, Dean's capture was completely consistent with a living huge living creature yeah and, they, and they've Couldn't been be confused with anything else yeah and they've been finding some weird um like sticks and that have been shoved in the ground upside down and some like not small ones some big ones too some big logs and that and they had other signs showing that there was something weird going on something was around the area and they were way off trail like they said they swam through like a, a big creek and went like kilometers in the bush, so they weren't right near a little trail. Um, so yeah, they um they spent a lot of time out there, and you know got the results in the end, which is the main thing. But a few people have said that's you know they're not you know yeah, it's just someone standing there was all set up. Which look, I don't think. I don't think uh, Dean will be spending a couple of thousand dollars on a uh, on a thermal camera to just set something up. It's just something he just don't do, and um, he's never been anything but but honest. So I can when I look at it, I was just like, oh man, that's I've got one of them thermals, and I'm like, I just hope I can be in that situation one day where I can, you know, get a really good capture of it, and then uh, you know try and work out what exactly this creature is. Is, is it Gigantopithecus, or is it just something on another, another tree, another branch? So that's something that we're all it's trying to achieve. Oh, absolutely, Dan. Look, uh, that uh, footage was taken at Strickland Track. Dan's footage was taken at Strickland Track, mm. and um, I thought it was interesting because it really was a land of sticks. You know where they, as they walk down the uh, down the tracks, these sticks impaled into the ground. And uh, but they actually noticed there on a post, I think it was yesterday. They're uh, in a new area now, which is even more promising. They've had uh, there's many, many more sticks and uh, large X, X structures where the where it's not growing out of the ground and they've been bent over. They're literally sticks that have been you know, 12 foot tall that have been uh, uh, driven into the ground into an X shape, etc. Plus they've heard bipedal walking. And, uh, yeah, no, it sounds really, really promising. But I just hope this time they keep the location absolutely secret because, 
that's what went wrong with Stickland was uh, I know another, oh, he vaguely calls himself a researcher, um, uh, turned up there and was uh, numerous times and I'm sure the area probably uh, quietened down with all that activity, human activity. Uh, but anyway, hopefully they keep this one uh, more secret and they get some better results out of it, which I think anybody who seriously has a go at it um, and is in the right place at the right time is going to capture them because they can't hide from the thermal camera. No, no, they can't. So they still come. They they still come in to have a look at you, um, and uh, they think you can't see them. So I think that's the simple formula of why why it works. Yeah, and and and, and where they're going up there, uh, Dean and his uh, and his crew. There's a lot of, but the bush is very thick up there. There's like the if people don't know are listening to this podcast and not. From Australia, Queensland's got a warmer climate. Um, so even in winter time here in like Sydney area, we in the high teens, mid teens, where Queensland winter time is still in the twenties, and then summertime it gets, you know, it's the humidity's much more than what it is down in Sydney. But they generally got a, a, a hotter climate up there, so they got the rainforests and and their bushes much thicker than what we've got down here, and like anything could be in there. I've looked at a few places up there where there's been sightings and um, and encounters from from the past, and I've just looked in there and just went, you know, anything could be in there. And there's only so many trails, and once you get off the trail, you got to really watch yourself because you know the amount of snakes and the dangerous animals and bugs and everything that are out there and spiders. So once you get off trail anywhere, it, it's you know you really got to take someone else as well. That's why it's good to go in a group or at least one other person. So if you get hurt, someone can go get help. But, yeah, anything could be in there, mate. And one thing good about the thermal, um, yeah, if, if if anything's living, it's going to give off heat, so it's going to pick it up. And these cameras can – I've got one, and it can see human form at 1,400 metres away. So you can recognise it's a human, but you can't see it clearly, but you can recognise it's walking on two legs. You can recognise a dog, but at 700 metres away, you can film it quite clearly. So that's the uh, the good thing about it. So you could have something walking up on the ridgeline and you can point it up and you can zoom in four times, but the only bad thing is you have to stop recording while you zoom it in. So what we do, do is um, we record through the Wi-Fi onto a onto a um iPad or a or your mobile phone, so you can everyone can watch it on the phone while you're recording, and then you can zoom in while you do that. So um you can get around that by using the zoom while you're recording, which is a good feature, and it's got an internal memory this uh, thermal monocular, and it's 16 gig. And you can take photos while you're taking a video as well. And there's a lot of different options. But one thing about it, it's easy to buy one and say, yeah, I'm going to film a Yowie. But what I say, it's just like learning a, like uh, an instrument, like a, if you're playing something like a flute or something like that. You've got to know where everything is and before you go out and test it. So just go down the park at night time if you're going to buy one and test everything. Because if you press the wrong button, you know, it might take a few seconds before you find the right button for the right function, and by that time, your chances are gone. So um, that's what I would I'd do. I'd sit there sometimes on the lounge and just have the have it there and start and close my eyes, and then and try and feel which buttons which, and so I know where I am because when you're doing these recordings, you're doing it in the dark, so it's not an easy thing to do. It's just not like you press it on and it does everything for you. You know, you have to find the different features and and the buttons have multiple features. So if you hold the middle button, it gives you a list. But if you hold it longer, it gives you a second list. And then you've got to scroll down and then you've got to pick it and then you've got to say, yes, I want that, and then it works. So it might take you four or five seconds to get the feature that you want before, you know, you can, you can start filming. So they've done a really good job. Uh, I think it was Buck Buckingham that actually filmed it. And I met Buck up at Nana Glen when I did a 
talk up there. And um, yeah, he's a pretty pretty cool dude. And uh, yeah, he seemed pretty pumped when um, when he was uh, doing a bit of an uh, interview on a, I think the TV crew went there and interviewed Dean and the boys. So no, I'm, it's really good that they got that. So at least I, I know all the work that we're doing with these thermal cameras is paying off. Yeah, I think it really is a game changer, mate. The um, yeah, I noticed when on the the breakdown video by AYR Buck, who actually took the footage on that evening. Um, yeah, he at one stage hit the wrong button in the dark, and it started cascading through its set of you know different colour schemes. Yeah. So you know, red and white, black and white, um, etc. Um, but uh, and he also had to struggle with that fact that to zoom in, you had to uh, turn off the camera. So yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed with the footage, Dan. I, I think under pressure, and uh, was the first time using these camera, uh, using the camera. It uh, it was interesting. I don't think they even saw him. Uh, it wasn't until he got got called by somebody else who was coming up to his location that uh, when that came through on the radio, the, the two yeah, we looked in that direction of where the fellow was coming and took off. So, yeah, I think it was, you know, he was uh, very lucky on that evening. And I can't see why it can't be duplicated, you know. I think Dean's running four cameras now. So when the situation comes it's good when they're in the right place at the right time in this new location. Like I said, these things can't hide and we'll get better footage. Um, I know looking at your camera that it's just exceptionally clear footage. If they really are a nice piece of equipment. But I suppose that's what justifies the price tag, yeah? Yeah, they're, they're just over $3,000 each, so they're not cheap. And, you know... As I said, there's some people, you know, if you're going to spend a couple of thousand dollars, you want to get the use out of them. So everywhere I go, that's in my bag with all my other equipment. So, and it's, it's, they're not that heavy, but what I find is the best way to use them is put them on a tripod. And if I'm going out or just on a short hike or the camping area, I don't have to walk to, we can drive to, and we're only going to walk a short distance away I will take my heavier tripod but I've got a lighter one which I can put in the backpack and it probably only weighs not even half a kilo so I'll take that and it's you get better footage if it's nice and sturdy because even though this monoclear is probably only about half a kilo in weight I think it's like 540 grams like it still gets heavy after a while when you're holding it up for about 10 minutes so a tripod's a good option and a good piece of equipment to have and that's that's what I use. And that's what I used that night at the when we went out with Talaganda and we just had it on the tripod so it stayed still and you can f- film it clearly. Not everyone can see it. It's not wobbling around. And uh, you try and get the best footage possible. But one thing I want to ask, Dave, you um, have lived down in the Canberra region all your life and your family's got a long history down there, a lot of, a lot of ancestors... Um, Grew up in the area? No, my family came out to Australia in 1820. And they, and they settled at um, a place called Bungonia near Maruan. Yep. So, but then they, over the next 200 years, they spread out, you know, uh, into Victoria and New South Wales. Um, yeah, no, we only hit Canberra in 1958 or something. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, it wasn't even uh, 50 years old, Canberra, when my family moved there. But uh, Canberra wasn't uh, started till 1913. Uh, Yeah, but no, but I've spent my whole life basically in this area. Um, So um, I was going into uh, Namadji National Park when it wasn't a national park. You know, it, uh, uh, 40 years ago, it was, uh, you know, you could get away with a lot more than what you can get away today in a modern national park. 
but I am glad they have made them all national parks because uh, uh, a lot of the destruction that was happening with four-wheel drives and uh, illegal shooters and things like that uh, was put an end to. My only real complaint is a lot of the places I could get to 30 and 40 years ago, I can't get to anymore because they've gated them all. Uh, so, and um, I'm not getting any younger, so walking long distances is something I avoid now. And uh, so I can't get to a lot of places that I used to get to in the ACC. I don't know I don't go there any, anymore. It's uh, too difficult to get to. Uh, the uh, Barock, for example, is a very popular walk in Canberra up in the mountains. And uh, there's been a, two or three recorded uh, incidents up there involving Yowies or suspected Yowies. Um, one fellow I know was telling me he was up there on dawn one morning. He wanted to walk up the top to see the view in the morning. And he started off very early. And he said he looked over to his right-hand side and uh, he was in the bush. Uh, along the track as he was coming back, I think. Um, so it was very early in the morning. He might have been still going there. Uh, yeah, parallel view on the track. Another fellow climbed in his fire. He had a fire up there. So it might have been one of the campgrounds nearby. Um, a rural valley, or, uh, sorry, not a rural valley. Um, used to be a... Uh, Used to be a space telegraph, um, um, space dish up there, idle company. But anyway, yeah, no, around those areas, there's been quite a few sightings over the years, and, and some of them quite recent. You know, they're 15, 20, say five years ago. The last one I heard about was at Farwa, that was on Australia Day about three years ago, and uh, cars travelling uh, off towards at the Anabinabi side of, of Bala and uh, Fabian Road. And it, um, uh, yeah, they just saw it in the, on the side of the road as they drove past uh, a hairy man. Yeah. Uh, that was reported to Dean. It was actually Dean told me about that one. Yeah. But uh, the area has a long history. Jesus Christ. Um, uh, out around Tibibilla, um, yeah, Royal Valley, there's been yeah, many uh, recorded sides over the years. But it's getting a little bit uh, too populous now. Uh, people really get in the bush. And uh, like the campground I avoid, I only use our camp. I basically camp anywhere in the state forest or the national park and try to avoid. Falling out with you again, Dan. Uh, when this uh, horrid COVID thing ends, we can. Uh, I'm full vaccinated now. I can, uh, once they lift these restrictions, I should be able to be out and about a bit more, and uh, we should plan a trip. Yeah, um, I still remember the the day that we, uh, or the week. I think it was a long weekend. We went down to Wee Jasper, and. You and me, we went to along the the road that there was a AYR um, sighting uh, from the Yowie hunters on the YouTube, and um, three guys walking along there. They broke down and they walked along from uh, I think it was like a a quarry, and then they had to walk into town to try and get someone ring up to tow their car. So we walked along there at night, and. It was really dark, really quiet. So, you know, if you walk along roads like that by yourself or with one mate, it's still very spooky because I know, like, when we walked down there, along there, we even though we had a car a kilometre or so behind us and one in front of us just in case something happened, uh, you know, it's, it's, like you were saying, these people are having these encounters, you know, they, they're getting freaked out. So, yeah, we, we had a... I had a good time walking along there, and we were just chatting along as we were walking along there. But uh, 
we never had anything come along. But yeah, it's a spooky area that we Jasper. Uh, well, nothing that nothing that made nothing that made themselves known. No. no. Uh, I think the time we were in, I think about the time we were in um, um, when I went on that epic epic journey with you to um, Barrington Top. Yeah. You know the, that uh, one of the girls got uh, in the in the bushes where you were going in to have a look. You couldn't see what it was, but it was captured on film. All these little titillating things, uh, so close but so far away. But if we'd have had a thermal there that night, we would have had a clear image. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I wish I did, but didn't have one then. I. I don't think the thermals that I've actually got and the one at Dean's got was actually like available then or not that good anyway. So, um, yeah, I wish I did. <laughs> but uh, all I remember was minus seven and, uh, yeah, it was a really cold night. And, uh, yeah, I, we, we're going to go up there again, but just got to wait for everything to open up and things to settle down. Uh, one other thing I want to talk to you about, Dave. Um, when we went down to Springwood in the Blue Mountains, and you noticed there was a tree with a they called a scar tree. Can you tell us about that? Oh yeah, yeah. No, was it uh, Martin's Pond? Was it? Yeah, yeah. Martin's Pond as a camp. Purchase camp. Pond. Purchase Pond, something like. Um. That. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, the first thing I noticed when I got down there was there was an ancient scar tree. And a scar tree is something the indigenous people used to take pieces of, cut pieces of bark out of a tree and use it for some, you know, utilitarian purpose, you know, a shield or a, or a um, coolerman or something to carry um, water in or whatever they use them for. I mean, large sheets of bark cover and trees were used as canoes, so they were pretty functional, uh, pretty clever with what they made out of this tree bark. But when they did it, it didn't kill the tree. The tree just had that um, ecliptical uh, shield shape cut out of the tree yeah. and uh, the wood dies off behind it and the uh, a scar forms around the edge of where the bark was removed. And uh, they're on. This was this was done to. This was done pre-colonisation or just after colonisation for a period of time. So these things would be at least 150 years old or more. Yeah, that's what I was 200 ask you. years old. Yeah, I was going to um, ask you how old it was because that's a that was a pretty big tree, wasn't it? And I've never seen another one. Oh, after. That, that tree was. That tree was four or five hundred years old. That could be, you know, I, I, without cutting it down and counting the rings on it, uh, it uh, those trees yeah, can live for four, five, six hundred years. What? So, yeah, when when the scar was made, I don't know, but around Canberra, we're lucky because that's there's quite a few that have been heritage listed around Canberra, mm-hmm. and uh, yes. Yeah, at least 30 different examples of them over the years. And uh, they all fairly standard in there. But they're just a wonderful piece of history. You know, I hope, you know, I mean, they'll stay there as long as the tree stays alive. So as long as the tree itself is a permanent reminder of our Indigenous heritage here in Australia. If, if, if one of those so, trees fell uh, over, Dave... Hand in hand with... Dave, sorry, if one of those trees fell over... And you reckon they could tell the age of the scar by the rings if some of the rings were, like, you know, damaged or something? Oh, I'm sure they could have, but you know, I don't know the science behind it, but I believe they can uh, estimate the age of a tree from its rings. Uh, that that would uh, quite be possible. But that tree was very old. I think it's got a lot of years left in it, yeah. yeah. So, and it sat next to that. Um, next to that creek, um, is that Batman's Creek? Uh, it's Glenbrook. Um, Glenbrook. Creek. Anyway, 
Glenbrook Creek, you know, that would have flooded so many times over the last couple hundred years, and oh. that tree's right on the edge of Oh, that rage, so it rages in there, mate. I've been up there, and it, it's like the water's like 10, 15 metres higher. It'd probably be the water sometimes would nearly swallow that tree up. That's how much water goes. Yeah, no, it's an amazing old, amazing old tree. Um, yeah, it's just heritage that uh, we should keep. That's what's happening, though. Most of the scar trees have been, um, it's only the scar trees in remote areas that remain. Most of them were cleared away with land clearing. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the only places you find them here in Canberra is on areas that weren't cleared. Um, there are some scar trees in people's front lawns in the suburbs near me. Um, people probably live their entire life in the house and the entire time they stay in the house and never know that the tree out the front of their house with a great big scar on it is an Aboriginal scar tree. Well, I didn't know about them but, until you um, told me about the one at Springwood. Like, I didn't, I, I'd been there before and you said, oh, this yeah. is a scar tree. I'm, I never knew anything about that, so. Yeah, so they're just the little, little extras you get to see when you're out in the bush. Um, hunting for the <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, I've been all through the Blue Mountains and I have not seen another one. That's the only one. And I, every time I go out and see them big trees, I'm, I, I look around and I'm like, is that another scar tree? And I'm like, nah, the only one I've found. And I, I really want to find another one because then you kind of, you can work out where the Aboriginals actually were in the Blue Mountains. When you find them scar trees, you go, all right, they were here at some stage. And... um. You know, but you don't find them. Like you said, they've been knocked over or, you know, bushfires have come through. You know, that tree's really lucky that it hasn't been burned out by a bushfire. So being so close to the water, it's probably been very lucky that it hasn't been burnt, you know, over the two or three hundred years it's old. Oh, yeah. uh, the Blue Mountains is just an exquisite gem when it comes to uh, Aboriginal archaeology. Like, uh, I mean, those um, carvings, those rock carvings you showed me oh, six months ago um, when you went to that day walk, um, like one of them to me like it was a cat carving of the Yowie. Yeah. And you told me that there's, there's pl- plenty of these carvings up there. Yeah, yeah. People walk over the top of them. Yep, there's um, one of my friends. And they're off, and they're off trial. They're off trail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're right up in the mountainside on the ridge. Yeah, yeah. They're not. Um, they're not anywhere where there's a lot of people going to be seeing them. And you know what? A lot of these. Yeah, just, a lot of them are covered with like leaf litter and leaf matter and sticks and dirt. So a lot of them are covered. People walk over the top of them and don't even know they're there because they just they don't know there's a rock under the dirt. And if they move the dirt, then there's um, all the carvings of kangaroos and emus and people and maybe yowies, we don't know. Yeah, oh, that one looked to me like one, but anyway. Yeah, you know, it's just amazing, mate, and it's such a treasure. It's a real gem, uh, the Blue Mountains. It's rock carvings and it's rock paintings. The Red Hands Cave blew me out when I saw it. And I just thought, what a shame it is we live in a world where you have to put Defense. steel bars, bars yeah. across the caves that, you know, to see the artwork so that it doesn't get damaged. Yeah. It would have been really beautiful to see without the bars. Yeah, they found, they found that cave when um, it was either 1911 or 1913, I think it was on 1913, where an 11-year-old boy... You know, they went. He went hiking with a mate, but he got lost. And um, when they went in looking for him, they end up finding Red End's cave. So that's how they found it, up way back then. And I think they said it's between like five hundred and eight hundred years old, or something like that. So yeah, but it's a pity when you go there, you got to look for a cage. You know, you know, people just can't be trusted. It's unfortunate. Yeah, but I mean, at least it keeps it there. Yeah. It's just a shame, I think, in our society that, uh, yeah, you go to those extremes, that's all. We've got rock art here in the ACT and still walk straight up to it and look at it face to face. 
you know. But, you know, then I might be proven wrong one day. I might read a terrible story about how somebody went up and spray-painted it or something, you know what I mean? So, you know, graffitied it, so I suppose, you know. So, that's what yeah, I'm... one day, I suppose, out. Yeah, that's one thing I... I, I Sorry? I was about to say, there's one thing I always look for is more of the art from the Aboriginal art because I know there's one at Red Ends Cave and there is a few more sites that the national parks don't tell anyone and they're not on trails or anything and you have to bush bash and probably climb half the mountainside to get to. But every time I go to places and see, you know, like there's rock overhangs and, you know, it'll take a bit of effort to get to, but you can get there safely. It's just got to go through the bush and, and climb up. And I always wonder how many of these... Rock ledges, they got these, um, you know, like, like Red Ants Cave, or they got pictures of, you know, whatever animals are in the area, and um, and just wonder how old they'd be if you found them. So, it's uh, it's something that I always look for, even though I'm out there researching yowies. I'm always got my eyes open for the scar trees or some sort of old Aboriginal signs that are out there, like you know the the rock carvings or paintings etc so you know it's always good to get out there that's one thing i've been missing just even getting out in the bush and just getting away from things and and um and enjoying it and these last pretty much two years have been on and off a little bit and uh and for the last six to eight months has been very little unless you're lucky enough to live in an area like the boo mountains or you live right next to a national park and you can go out so um I think with everything starting to open up, you know, uh, you're going to have probably, there's been a, what can I say, there's a been less people saying they're seeing things because there's no one going out. Um, so you'll probably find when everyone starts going out, there might be a bit of a mad influx of, of heaps of people with videos about if they found a yaoi or had an encounter because everyone's going to be going out because everyone's just sick of staying at home because we have jokes at work and say, oh, what are you going to do on the weekend? I'm going to go around the front of the house and I'm going around the back and I might even go around the side. You know, it's a joke. <laughs> you know, so we don't see much. You, can't yeah. get, you just can't get out anyway. So. But anyway, uh, it's opening up soon, so everyone's going insane. Well, if anything's to be said about it, the Aoi's have had a really good break yep. from uh, from people. Uh, I know the national parks around here have been closed for over a year, and then they were closed for a year before that from the fires. The fires, yeah. Uh, terrified a tree was going to fall on someone, so they went right through all of the uh, trails and everything, lopping down the trees that might fall on people, etc. But it took them a long time. So they basically had two years out there on their own with nobody annoying them. So I think you're right. I think when there's a sudden influx of people into the area, there's going to be a few sightings. Yeah, well, we uh, we might hopefully wear one of them that actually uh, gets it on a thermal or on a, on a camera. So that'll be very interesting. And before we, we finish up, because it's nearly 50 minutes, um, I just like to say to people who will be asking, why did you call your podcast Two Bastards? And basically when me and Dave will say hello to each other, it's like, hey, bastard, how you going? So that's probably why we, it's called Two Bastard. And uh, and uh, and the thong is like, we have a bit of a joke that there's been some researchers over the years that have uh, said they've... Uh, gone into thick bush and they're nowhere near a road and then they kind of pan down and they're wearing thongs and I don't know who hikes in thongs but it's a bit of a joke between us every time we go out you've got to have your hiking thongs uh, so that's why we've got a uh, we've got a thong with a busted plugger as the picture and uh, two bastards is the name of the podcast so if anyone's wondering that's why so uh, what's your take on it Dave? What's that, mate? I see. What's your take on the name? Do you like our name? Yeah, I do like our name, mate. We needed a <laughs> name, and two bastards is about right, I think. <laughs> uh, you know, 
because we're influencers, you see, Dan. Oh yeah. About that. You know, now now that we're now that we're influencers in the Yowie community, you know, we'll be able to tell everybody how it's done and how they're doing it wrong and <laughs> <laughs> You finally made it as an influencer, mate. <laughs> Oh, mate, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see if there's any interest in this podcast, mate. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, this is, the, this is the first go at it, so yeah. uh, it's all very new to us. Yeah, you can see how professional we are. But, uh, you know, anything that comes along, all any Facebook groups, I'm sure that you'll find out and and talk about them. And there's always something weird that's on TV or radio or somewhere, and but if we come along any other anything else that's a weird uh, story about anything like a dog man or a you know flying human or something like that, something weird, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll talk about it on here. Absolutely, mate. Hey, uh, we we're, all we're doing is recording telephone conversations we usually have where we wrap it on for sometimes hours, Dan. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I do, we do keep our ear to the ground. Uh, if anything pops up, uh, you know, we'll be able to share it and at least give some commentary on it. There doesn't seem to be anybody doing that. So, uh, yeah, it'll, uh, we'll see how it goes, Dan. But anyway, I've enjoyed today. I think we're going to keep it under an hour, won't we? Yeah, it's bit, any, anything under an hour is good. So what we'll do is we'll say goodbye to Dave now and uh, and then I'll be signing off. And uh, hopefully uh, you guys come back and listen to the second episode. Uh, like I said, we're doing them monthly because yeah, we're just waiting. Uh, we've got you know our own lives and work and we're busy and... One thing, it'll get better the more that we can get out and the more that we can film once we've got most of our freedoms back. There'll be more to talk about. So this is just basically they get the podcast out there and um, and hopefully we get a bit of a, uh, a following and um, we'll just take it from there. Anyway, Dave, I'll uh, speak to you next time and hopefully... Everyone has uh, enjoyed the uh, Two Bastards podcast and uh, probably about the same time next month uh, we'll have an, the, the episode two and um, hopefully we've got a few more interesting things and, uh, for people to listen to.